Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome once again to SkySpec's Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Light, Head of Marketing here at SkySpecs. My co-host is our CRO, Josh Goral. And our guests for today are Shweta Kushu and Akshay Ayer, and who work with us on the computer vision engineering team here at SkySpecs. Welcome, everybody. Um, so before we start going into the technical questions, Josh and I like to start off by asking some uh, like little fun intro, getting to know you kind of questions. And we have been changing it up a little bit. So first, how about we start with you, Shweta? What is your favorite holiday to celebrate and why? Hi, Sarah. Hi, Josh. Um, thank you for inviting us to this podcast. Excited to be here. Um, okay, so what's my favorite holiday? So back at, back when, well, I mean, I'm from India. So back at home, uh, I used to love celebrating Diwali because uh, we got time off from school and it was all about the food and the firecrackers and the lights. It was a lot of fun. Honestly, these days, any holiday that gives me a long weekend is my favorite holiday. So I'm good with all of them. <laughs> That's a great answer. What about you, Akshay? So I'm from India as well. And Diwali was to be one of my answers, but Shweta stole it. So the Indian festival, uh, which I love, is something called as Ganesh Chaturthi. It's a 10-day long festival wherein you bring in uh, the idol of a god called Ganesh into your house. And then there's sweets, there's food. You bring in guests over and then a lot of fun over 10 days. For the American one, I love the holiday season because I'm very close to uh, New York City. And I think that's the best place to celebrate uh, Christmas and New Year. So I really love, I've been spending the last two uh, Christmas and New Year here, and I simply love it. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. That's a great place to do it. Awesome. What about you, Josh? I, I mean, I do. I like, I like Christmas and just the holiday season, like being around around family. Um, the one that I do, like in in my family, uh, Thanksgiving is a big holiday for for us. And I, I use this, but I don't even know if you've, you've heard this story before either. But um, this is kind of quirky, but my grandfather is was known for in Michigan for some reason. He was able to source and get like the largest and biggest turkey in Michigan. <laughs> and um, so every year it would be really a big thing. Like in, in my family, the biggest turkey that he's ever had was 77 pounds, which is absolutely insane for a turkey. <laughs> um insane. And he's had that, I think there's two 77 pounders and even on like a off year, it'd be like 50 pounds, which is like absolutely insane. So um, yeah, Thanksgiving is a, is a big uh, holiday with our family. We don't, we don't actually do that anymore because my grandfather's getting, getting quite old, but it was uh, yeah, definitely kind of a fun, funny fact about me and my family. So that's amazing. How many people are you feeding with that big of a turkey? Honestly, just a lot of leftovers. Not as many as you think. Like, there's obviously tons of leftover. But he like brings it to the neighbors, and he makes like pounds <laughs> and pounds of like stuffing and all the stuff, and gives it out. So that's quite that's crazy. Insane. That's a lot of post Thanksgiving turkey sandwiches. <laughs> I know, like crazy, and I'm sure they're like again. You have to eat a lot of turkey for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. All right, Sarah. What about you? 
Um, I have to say that just like the Christmas New Year season, I am a big decorator. We have a 12, 13 foot Christmas tree in our house. And it has been a, like an event if for a while we were getting live Christmas trees. Um, one year it fell over, but luckily it was before it was decorated. And um, we have learned our lessons since then that if you're going to get a tree that big, you have to like secure it to the wall and make sure that that's the best way to keep it up. Um, but it's kind of been like the tradition now that we just have been getting these giant trees and have our family over and all this fun stuff. And and then we do, we have a, a large group of friends over for New Year's at the end. And at some point I have to take that Christmas tree down though. And that's always a, a process of like shoving that back in a closet. So yeah. Yeah. All right. One more question for you before we jump into the details. Uh, what is your most used emoji? Josh, I'm going to start with you this time. I feel like, I don't know, I'm probably pretty basic, just the like, either a smiley face, thumbs up, or I do like the one around the sky specs, like the party parrot, the, like head bob side thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a good one. What about you, Shweta? Oh, I forgot about Tardy Tired. That's definitely up there. Uh, but I've been, I've kind of found myself using the heart emoji a lot because now they're in different colors. So like sometimes it's the red one, sometimes it's the mild blue or the, yeah. the pastel pink one. And yeah, I just, I'm just using that a lot. And I, now I feel like maybe my heart emoji doesn't have that much special meaning anymore because I've used it so much. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the one for me. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you, Akshay? For me, I find the thumbs up emoji to be too basic and too, you know, curt. So if I have to respond or acknowledge to something, I don't know how do I put it in an audio podcast. I like this or this. So it's basically <laughs> four and the pinky finger for, for the audio podcast version of this. It's called the horns, right? The horns? Yeah, the it's all the horns. But then yeah, the like the, the Texas, the hook on the horns. <laughs> yeah. One thing is that. I find that better. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. I think I have um, a most used like positive one, which is probably the heart shweta, like the, the sky specs teal color one I'm using a lot. But then I've been using, and it's probably overused, it's like the person with the hand on their forehead. Um, and I'm like, oh, I really probably need to stop using that one so much where I'm just like, you know. <laughs> something has gone wrong or I don't know what's going on. So it's like you're always facepalming? Yep, always facepalming. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I'm using that one too much. All right. <laughs> now that we've got that stuff out of the way, the very key important part of the podcast, how about we, uh, <laughs> how about we uh, start off with each of you guys telling us a little bit about yourself and your role and, and your journey and your journey into well coming to Skyspec. Who wants to start first? Um, I'll start um, one. I'll I'm, 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 I'm just gonna start tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um so uh so basically my journey into Sky Specs has been an interesting one. So I've always loved robotics and um I was part of this robotics uh, club even in my undergrad. Uh, I was one of the core team members. And then I joined grad school and I was doing my specialization in machine learning and image processing. And during the grad school career fair, I saw I, I came across this booth which had this giant drone on top of it. And that immediately got my attention. 
And that's where I met our CTO, uh, Tom Gray, for the first time. And then, yada, 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 interviewed the team, got the job. This was back in 2016. Um, and um, so my love for robotics is what got me into SkySpecs. And then, honestly, over the years, uh, I started up as the computer vision and machine learning engineer. And today, I'm the, the engineering manager for the computer vision group. And over the years, it's just the kind of the, the, the passion of the team towards sustainable ener- uh, development and sustainable energy has kind of kept me going and even more uh, interested and loving working here than what, what, it, what the feeling was when I just started. And so, yeah, I started off uh, as a robotics lover, continued as a uh, someone who loves, who's interested in sustainable development. And um, uh, yeah, I work as the, the engineering manager for the computer vision group today. Awesome. All right, your turn, Akshay. So, um, fun fact, uh, me and Shweta went to the same undergrad uh, school in awesome. And uh, similar to her, I will, uh, I used to be involved actively uh, in robotics and embedded system projects. That led me to do my master's in robotics um, from, uh, from the US, from WPI, uh, where I specialized in computer vision and deep learning. And... Um, so I had started interviewing with uh, SkySpecs, uh, and it, it was in January, February 2020, and then COVID struck. So so that process got uh, halted a bit. But then as if it was happened to, like it was meant to be, uh, come around circa around October of 2020, we reconnected again to Shweta, me, and Keith. And at that time, I was working in a different uh, position back then. I used to work with UMass Medical School, but then... Uh, we started interviewing again, and then uh, I joined SkySpecs in January of 2021. And yeah, it's been two years now. It doesn't really feel like uh, two years at all. It's been a wonderful journey working on some really interesting projects. So yeah, that's how it all began. That's awesome. Well, another question for you then, just to keep going. What does a typical day look like for, for you and the team? <clears throat> so... So we are a small team, right? We are a team of three people and to be four members very soon, like as as early as next Monday. So it's a core group. And so what happens is uh, every person almost always takes a project from start to finish. So depending upon what stage the project is in, uh, our day-to-day typical day like looks different. So say a project is in its initial phase. So typically you will find us uh, talking a lot with business, which is the Blade team for us trying to understand the problem, what exactly the problem is, if machine learning can help in any way, you know, how could the problem be solved using computer vision, so on and so forth. Then typically it's the uh, research phase or the model building phase where you would find us reading a lot of papers and then implementing stuff, experimenting, hacking, and trying out what works, what doesn't. And once we have a, a decent decent prototype, uh, we typically go into the next phase where then we validate it with business on uh, uh if it's actually doing what it's supposed to do, if it's helping the business, what uh, they want out of it. And uh, again, in that phase, you would find us interacting with uh, the stakeholders a lot and then reiterating on our model. And in the final stage, we deploy it to production. So you will find us doing a lot of engineering kind of work wherein we deploy the model, we scale it, we create APIs around it. So the typical day, like these are the four typical days and it'll like which day we are in depends upon what project uh, we are currently doing. So for awesome. me, so I'm working on a project which is in the more researchy model building phase. I'm in the second second kind of typical day. I'm just just kidding. Yeah. 
It kind of kind of similar, but a different but question for you, Shweta. I mean, maybe could you speak to a little bit just about your your journey at, at Sky Specs, right? And how how like your your role has changed and what that's been like and like what, what you've learned, right? Because I think you've been been here from the from the early days and really helped grow grow Sky Specs. So I'd love to hear kind of what that what that's been like. Oh yeah. Well, uh, that is an interesting question. And yeah, as I said, I've been here, I think almost seven years now. So it started back in 2016 when we were just about, that. I think when we started was when we were starting to build the first autonomous drone inspection platform. So it was, um, and it was, I think about 12 of us, including you, Josh, it's like 12 of us in the, in, at Skyspring. So it was, it was amazing. The energy of the team was amazing in the beginning. It still is, but at the time it was just 12 people all hands on deck, building this product, getting to this finish line. I think that is the most impressed I've ever been with a set of people uh, because I saw something coming, starting from like the ground up to a finished product and demoed within a matter of five to six months. It was, it was beautiful the way everyone was synchronized and working towards this common goal. Um, we have obviously matured a lot since, uh, but our principles haven't really changed. We still, we still believe in, um, uh, building things quickly, the 80-20 rule and not letting perfection get into the way of good enough and things like that. And I think that kind of mentality, we still have continued as, I mean, I grew from being an engineer to an engineering manager, but our, the mentality of the team has continued to be the same of delivering projects quickly and working closely with the customer and solving their uh, pain points uh, and uh, um, being humble while you're doing that. And it's a very interesting thing for me to look back, uh, Josh, because I remember there was this one month in my early days, I started off working on something with MATLAB. I had to then sh- shift to writing some a code in C++. And then I wrote a script in Python. And then I had to tie that all together in Bash. And all of this happened in one month. And oh, and then there was a point where I was also writing functions in JavaScript. And two or three of these languages I had never done before. But within that one, two months, I kind of had to quickly learn, quickly ramp up and deliver on some of these small, small tasks. And it was Amazing. And now I enjoyed the whole process so much. It was just that kind of energy that made you, that got you motivated to do something like this, to build something quickly and get your hands dirty with the um, code and data. So yeah, it, it's been an amazing journey uh, seeing SkySpecs mature from that, that early stages to what it is today, but still maintain its values, uh, the score values. Yeah, it's been amazing. That's awesome. So Tell me a little bit about like some of the recent projects that that you maybe can talk about that you guys have worked on that has made an impact on just the the day to day products that Skyspecs has. Uh, so the, the one of the very first projects that our team started with was uh, the uh, damage identification uh, project, the damage identification on wind turbine blades project, and that was a very easy and obvious um, application for something like a computer vision or machine learning solution because uh, this, the process of identifying damages on blades is like a very manual human process that takes, uh, wherein a, a person has to go through hundreds of pictures every day, finding these damages and labeling them and categorizing them. And naturally, as 
anything that is repetitive is, is prone to human error. It's slow. If you want to scale it, it becomes harder to scale because you need to scale people and that's not always easy to do. So we wanted to help this process by building uh, a recommend a damage identifier recommendation system, which sees the human analysis process. So that at least the first step of identifying these damages is becomes solved. So that after that, it's just more of like a human going in and verifying the damages and assigning all those labels, which will be much faster than them actually finding them on every picture. Uh, that was the first project. We we built that, we shipped that, it's in production and it's it has we've got good feedback from it and uh, that has helped speed up the analysis process and has helped reduce the actual number of missed damages. I don't have the, the metrics off the top of my head, but I can tell you it, we had a good, a good quality feedback from yeah. that project. And then after that, we'll we had add, a couple of, sorry, go ahead. We'll add that in the fact checked after after the fact, so oh, don't okay. worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that a Twitter fact check box? It's like, no, she was wrong. Yeah. then actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> long afterwards, so we can always add note. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, and then after that, we worked on a couple of other, and after the success of this one, we worked on a couple of other projects and actually can probably talk about maybe one or two of them uh, that we have deployed in production. Since Before you jump into that, wasn't there a unique name for that first project and we call that? Oh, one? yes. Um, <laughs> glad you mentioned it. Uh, this project of damage identification is lovingly called as Blue within Skyspecs. Uh, and it's uh, in reference to Blue's Clues because as Blue and Blue's Clues tries to find clues on uh, for Steve, our Blue helps find damages for our analysts. So anyway, your own children here. Well, so, who, can, who can take credit for that one? Is there is there somebody that takes full? I feel full? like it has to be our CTO, Tom, because I think usually he's the one who comes up with these very interesting names. And I think in this case, it was him. That would be my guess too. I think it was fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, we can fact check that too. We can fact check that. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Basically, Blue was followed by two other interesting projects with interesting names. So, so what we're trying to do is essentially model how our QC process works and um, try and add layers on like layers of verification through a machine learning, uh, machine learning way. So once you identify the damage, what typically the analysts do next is to figure out what type the damage is. So whether it's a crack, whether it's a flaking, a scratch, there are like variety of different types of damages. So we built something which sorts these damages into different categories and hence the name sorting cat from Harry Potter sorting hat. Ready to very far this should go to Shweta and not to Tom and you can fact check this. So uh, <laughs> uh, so basically what it what, what it does is um every time an annotation is created it uh classifies which category uh, the particular damages we initially focused on cracks uh, because that's that's like the major uh, major uh, category of interest for for the blade team and it's been performing well we deployed that in 2021 um and according to the blade team around 86% of all changes which the blade team performs on QC3 all those changes have been seeded by uh, sorting cat so it's uh, it's proving to be a, one of the primary seeders for uh, QC3 in their final check. <clears throat> and it, it it had uh, good metrics of uh, around 95 to 96% accuracy. So uh, we followed up sorting cat with something called a sorting mat because now we were not sorting categories, but now we were sorting material uh, of 
of damages. So if a crack is identified, what kind of material it is, so whether it's a top coat crack or a structured crack. So we built a model which performs this kind of a classification. And interestingly, we deployed Sorting Mat on the same day as we deployed Sorting Cat a year later. It was October 21 again. So that's kind of becoming like our deployment uh, date within, within the team. <clears throat> so anyway, Sorting Mat essentially does uh, categorization of what kind of material uh, the, the uh, crack is. And then that's been deployed uh, for a few months. It's been performing decently well, and we are yet to obtain the last scale metrics for it. But uh, it's all going good so far. That's awesome. So it sounds like there's a ton of application for machine learning um, across what we do. But actually, this is a question for you too. Like, what do you think our potentials uh, for machine learning and advanced tech like AI just in, in the wind industry as a whole? So uh, one is, as Shweta mentioned, right, what we are dealing with with the wind industry is like millions of images. Every image can contain several damages and then those damages could be really small. And then what, what machine learning can bring in is uh, a sense of objectivity, a sense of repeatability into the entire process. Um, the other angle, uh, this was with respect to the damages, right? The other angle uh, is sensor data, which we obtain from turbines and gearboxes. And we have a separate uh, CMS team, which works on that, which can generate really interesting insights on the health of the turbine and uh, on the energy losses front. That's another interesting dimension in which machine learning is helping. And the third dimension is uh, something which we have been um, Working on for the past month or two, which is the which is uh, a good thing about the vision team at SkySpecs is we not only work on projects like which are in production and are immediately offering value. We are also working on projects which are more researchy in their nature and uh, may or may not uh, see an output, but then uh, if they do, they'll definitely bring in a lot of lot of value. So, one of those projects is. Uh, not relying on labels of damages. So basically when we say, okay, this damage is a crime, this damage is a bond line, these labels can change over time. They are subjective, uh, they are noisy, they're not always accurate. So we're trying to build uh, models which will learn how to cluster these damages just on the visual appearance. Because even if the labels or the name we call those damages, with, even if they change over time, what will not change is how the damages look like. That is just their visual appearance. So we're trying to build models which can uh, categorize these uh, different damage types, subtypes, and material just on just based on how they look and properties which will not change over time. So, so that's another uh, another dimension. I think machine learning and computer vision can really help when there is limited label data and noisy label data because that's a problem across the wind industry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of kind of building on some of those those problems that that you mentioned, Akshay. I mean, Shweta, can you maybe speak to from your perspective too some of the challenges, um, even just in in machine learning and AI and wind right now, and maybe also where you see some of the opportunities too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, so there, so just in when you talk about machine learning, there are a lot of challenges of applying machine learning to any kind of data, just given the black boxy uncertain nature of machine learning algorithms but i'm not going to uh, focus on that because i, I want to focus more on like the challenges we have faced within the wind industry and i'm glad josh you are here because i think you would be able to resonate with some of the things i'm about to talk about <laughs> because you, you, have, you have a lot of experience with this industry but one of the first things that we have seen is uh, there is um, a lack of centralization and structured data within this industry 
Often, uh, these, often big organizations have data silos that are spread across the organizations and there's no single source of truth and it's not easily accessible. So you have these this useful information spread out like a needle in a haystack, but there's no good structured way of getting to that. So when you can't, if you, uh, if, if there's no um, access to this data, then the focus becomes data operations rather than solving the actual problem of the industry. So I think the industry has kind of recognized that now. And we, there is a lot of talk about data leaks and data planes and like getting all of this data in a format that's accessible, queryable, and structured. So that is one thing. The other challenge that our team constantly faces, and this is something Akshay has already alluded to, is the, the lack of industry-wide standardization and consistency, right? And this we often see in terms of how we mark and categorize our damages and how we rate severities. Like all, all customers have a different language when they speak about these categories and these severities. And in many of the ring projects, like we have to translate it to the language that the customers speak. And because there is no standard language that, and so there is no standard language that we can we have that everyone agrees on, it's harder for a machine learning system to try and automate a standard solution from that. So, uh, so that becomes a very challenging problem, and that's some of the stuff that Akshay is working on is trying to circumnavigate some of these issues. Uh, now, in terms of opportunities, I feel like. As data is getting more structured, as it is getting more consistent, um, uh, either it's getting consistent or we're bypassing the need for consistency. And as we, as, as domain experts start collaborating with the engineers closely and we can start solving more focused problems using some of the machine learning techniques that are available today, uh, the focus can actually start shifting to um, using the data to create meaningful uh, information out of it. Uh, once data becomes accessible, structured, and organized, and uh, queryable, and once we are able to access and connect the different sources of data, whether it's coming from inspections, whether it's coming from condition monitoring systems, or it's coming from some other XYZ source, and whether we're able to get all of that together, there's a lot of uh, scope for application of advanced tech, like data analytics and machine learning on this data to gather meaningful insights, make predictions about the health of turbine, about how damages look and propagate over time, about repair decisions and uh, prediction of uh, energy losses and things like that. So that, that is like in terms of the opportunities, what I see happening uh, for the wind industry in the future. Yeah, those are all like like great points, and it's been awesome to to see, especially to all all the applications and opportunities that there that there truly are. And I think, um, Shweta, maybe you can even you can speak to or comment on this as well. Like one of the things that that I've I've observed is I think it's like any industry um, that that is that needs that's maturing is um, people are learning still like what AI like truly truly means. And I think five six years ago. Um, when when people talked about AI and when they thought, oh, this magic black box would just come and solve everyone's problems, and um, it was the answer to everyone's prayers, right? And um, and and again, I think again, even in conversations now, it feels like we're we're able to be on kind of the same playing field as even our customers, and they're really starting to get it and their real real applications. But definitely something at least that I've observed kind of every year. Kind of the whole industry really, really matures too. So I don't know if you if you maybe speak to that or if you you've observed the the same stuff. I have, and I've observed um, I've observed um, 
undue expectations from AI, like uh, because uh, I mean, I've seen in the past sometimes there's um, a lot of projects, AI projects that have started that didn't go well because they are trying to solve everything. And I think it's really important. And, and I think I think this is where our team differs. It's really important to try and recognize that AI is not the solution. It's a tool and a means to solve a problem. So it's really important to focus on the problem and then analyze like what is the right answer here and use AI as a tool to get there, but not as the, the reason you want to. Like that's not the, the, the solution. That's not the means to the end. Um, and I've seen a lot of projects and even companies fail because they're trying to just glamorize the use of AI without actually trying to solve a need of the industry, right? And I'm glad you brought that point up because it's it's so important to to for customers for for vendors to recognize like it's more important to solve the problem to find the problem get it to a focused digestible scope where it can be solved and then apply advanced technology to solve it where it makes sense. Yeah, I I, I totally agree too. Right, and I think um, even at a macro level, like in in other industries too, right, like. AI is not here to just replace replace you, right? It's mm-hmm. to help power and scale, and especially in an industry, right, that really needs some help um, scaling. And there's some labor challenges. And I think with the right right focus, it's really really important. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shweta, when did your team first begin thinking about machine learning and AI? I mean, you've been here since 2016. Did, did we start it from the beginning? What when did this become uh, a subject for us? That is interesting. Um, so back when I started, again, the focus was our autonomous inspection. Um, uh, ad- 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 the focus was the autonomous inspection service that we were providing. So technically speaking, we have been thinking, like, if you talk about autonomy, that is essentially also an application of artificial intelligence. Okay. So technically, it has yeah. the use of this, this the, the, the term AI has been part of SkySpix from the very beginning. As for what our team does, which is very specific to working on computer vision applications uh, that uses image feeds, so uh, that uses image feeds. So um, our team was formally created, I think, somewhere in 2018, I want to say 2018, 2019. Uh, That is when once we had our autonomous inspection platform, once we had data, once we had historical data, and then we realized there's the scope of automating this, this manual process. Again, going back to that, finding the problem and then solving the, it through using AI tools. Mm-hmm. That's when we started putting more focus on and energy into we have the problem, we have the data, we have a scope to think that we want to solve. Let's solve it. And that's where slowly I think it was me, and then there was Alin, our another engineer who joined our team, and then eventually actually joined the team. Um, so uh, once we had the data, once we had the problem, that's when we started like focusing some of the efforts into automating this this the manual processes. So, um, so if you talk about AI, we've been doing it from the very beginning. But talking about what our computer vision team specifically does, it was somewhere in the last few years that we have started focusing on some of these niche problems. Yeah. So speaking from a what problems we're trying to solve um, side of thing, what are some of the key problems we're trying to solve or areas of focus that, that you and the team are, are working on this year now that we're in 2023? Or what can we talk about? Um, so this is off the recorder. So actually, it's already kind of spoken about some of this stuff. So I'm like worried about being too 
competitive. Um, because okay. he talked about some of the projects that we are all kind of going to do uh, and are doing. So um, okay. I don't have a lot more to add. I could talk about, like, summarize that again, but... I I, yeah, have, to, I have a I have a question for for Akshay. I'm I'm curious too. Maybe like even just coming, being here for a couple of years now, but coming from a different industry too. Is there things that that you can maybe speak to the the wind industry in terms of maybe needs or maturing or even or maybe just kind of um, things that you think are maybe similar to um, was it the healthcare before that you were you're working in? Yeah, yeah. So can you speak to maybe how those uh, how some things are applicable to both at all or it's an interesting question. See, so um, if if you look at uh, <clears throat> if you look at healthcare, the problem there is <clears throat> sorry, the amount of data which we which we ha- which we are typically working with is very limited as compared to we've got lots of data to work with here, which can which is a different problem, which is a different beast altogether because uh, to work with like millions of images, and if we have to ensure that it works well across all of it, that's a different problem. And um, what happens is, um, as we alluded to previously, is the quality um, of the data, because it's not actually possible for us to inspect the entire data set, uh, because machine learning models are heavily dependent on the kind of data you feed in. uh, And whatever you feed in, that's what uh, is going to dictate how the output is. So here, a major problem, which if I have to compare it with the healthcare thing is, since the data there is very small, it's possible for us to actually manually inspect what we're feeding the machine learning models compared to something like Blue or Sorting Cat, which uh, works on uh, a million images or 500,000 images. So it, it becomes very difficult for us to ensure the data quality is good. So that's one thing which definitely uh, comes on top of my mind. If you, if you ask about what's the, what's the difference there, uh, yeah. What about industry as a whole? Did you, uh, how was it moving from healthcare to wind industry? Were there any stark differences or stark similarities in the way we work on the these po- problems? I don't know if you want to keep this or not. So, but the point is, if you look at uh, the amount of work which has been done in healthcare, deep learning applied to healthcare is very limited. So, here, uh, when it comes to wind, uh, it might be limited, but then we can extrapolate from, uh, say, it applied to structural damages on airplanes or uh, in, in, in any other kind of uh, industry or factories or stuff like that. So there has been some work done on uh, you know, damages on different kinds of surfaces. So it is somewhat, we can some, uh, sometimes you know take up what's been done there and use it here as compared to healthcare. Now it's improving. I'm talking of 2019, 2020, when I used to work there. Back then it was even limited. And yeah, two years can make a huge amount of difference when it comes to the field of AI and machine learning. But then, so the amount of uh, background work uh, which we used to base our work on was like very limited. And also I used to work in a uh, in a research organization. So it, naturally the problems which we were trying to work on were uh, problems which hadn't been solved before. So that's that that's one immediate difference for sure. Awesome. So I don't this one may feel a little bit a little bit tough, but I think if you uh, I guess I'll just ask it for for both of you. Um, what about any like predictions for for the future? If we think about um, AI and machine learning in five to ten years in, in the wind industry, um, any anything to to kind of add to that or um, hypotheses that you guys that you guys have of what where maybe you'd like to see it uh, go or um, yeah, I don't I don't know. 
So I always think about this particular question, right? And it's so hard to answer that question. I'll tell you the reason why. There are two parts to that question, right? The first is human brains typically work and think in a linear fashion. So if we see a trend, we are only able to think in a linear fashion. But then these things like a machine learning and deep learning, they typically follow the exponential curve, which our brain is not used to working with. So it is it becomes difficult to extrapolate and see how bad that might land. So 10 years is a way, way too long in terms of uh, the AI world. The other interesting or fun fact when it comes to this particular domain of deep learning and computer vision and machine learning is it has a lack of surprising us. So if you look at five to six years ago, uh, people were betting hard on that, okay, uh, AI is going to replace the blue collar jobs. It's going to automate factories. Self-driving car was a big thing like seven years ago. And people, Things which were assumed to be the safest, like the jobs which were assumed to be the safest, were the creative ones, like the the poets, the designers, the illustrators. But if you look at what's been happening in AI over the past year or two, uh, with the generative AI, uh, with DALI, which is an image generation model, or ChatGPT, mm-hmm. which is written by Storm, it's it completely revolutionized the domain of text generation, image generation, design, creating illustrative designs, creating very convincing looking answers. And the the white color or the creative kind of jobs, which people were assuming that AI will never come to, it's not possible for AI to become really good at that. It's become very good at all of that, at becoming a painter, at becoming an artist. And it is still struggling if you you look at uh, self-driving or if you look at uh, warehouse automation or stuff like that. So... It's got an act of surprising, uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. But uh, for the wind industry or in, in general, my hope uh, for the next two or three years is, so if you look at how, the way AI has developed over the past 10 years, right? So it considers, uh, it's got a different field for whenever the input is an image, which is called computer vision. Then there is something called as natural language processing when you are dealing with text. Then there is something called as recommendation systems when you are dealing with structured data and stuff like that. But typically, that's not how the real world is, right? You you don't have such well-defined input modalities always. So there is a branch which has been seeing a lot of progress, and I personally hope uh, that uh, it sees a lot of progress in the coming few years, is where you can consider all of these data uh, modalities together. Like uh, one single model can take in something uh, which would be an image, which would be a text, which would be tabular data, which could be graph, and then give out an output. So that's called multimodal learning. And um, if you look at uh, with respect to the wind industry, right? So if you look at how the analysts typically look at a particular image, they don't just look at the image before making a decision. They look at the damage, but then they also focus on things like what the radial distance is, what the chord distance is. So they look at a bunch of parameters and the image before making a making a, making a a decision. And that's what we are hoping to do as well, uh, to not just focus on the uh, vision part of it, but to bring in multiple modalities. And uh, that's, that's one hope I, I hope uh, AI really matures in the next few years uh, in that particular domain. Yes. On the creative side, it is crazy to see how good it got. And around Christmas, now that we've been talking about Christmas, did you hear, I, I don't know if you guys saw, like people put in a bunch of Hallmark movies and it came out with like a storyline for Hallmark movies. It was, it was <laughs> hilarious. And a couple of my friends were like, yeah, I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, it's awful. But it's I mean, crazy how good they've gotten. Chad GPT is just revolutionary. Um, 
It's, uh, I think actually you showed me, showed us this, right? Where it was able to actually write code and like really good, meaningful code. So mm. it's actually automating the process of code writing. So some of the programmers are also kind of, um, probably should be worried about their jobs. <laughs> it's crazy. So literally, as you were talking about ChatGP, my phone, I got like a push notification. It was like a Wall Street Journal article that said ChatGP and looking at a sale for $29 billion. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so one last question for you both. Is there anything, um, any question that you wish Josh or I would have asked you that you think is important that our listeners under understand about what you're both doing? Um, I've already touched a little bit on it, but I just love to reemphasize this point of uh, best practices when it comes to uh, machine learning or computer vision applications. Uh, as, as we were talking about before, um, just... Um, Basically, not using machine learning as a one-size-fits-all solution and letting the data and the uh, more than the algorithm, letting the data determine the success and uh, always approaching machine learning with the mindset of uh, solving the problem and organically applying it when it makes sense. And then apart from that, I think uh, in the whole process of a machine learning project, it's very important to work closely with your stakeholders. Uh, stakeholders are usually domain experts of uh, whatever project you're, uh, whatever problem you're trying to solve. It's important to work closely with the stakeholders, determining the business metric and the success criteria early on from your project, because it's, so, it's often, again, we get so engrossed in this black box machine learning beautiful world that we Forget about what problem we're actually trying to solve. We get great results, but it has nothing to do with the pain points of our stakeholders, right? So it's very important early on to de define your business metric that you're expecting this model to achieve. And then what is success criteria that needs to achieve for it to be of any value to your stakeholders, to your customers, to the industry in general. And then again, when you're and then once you have designed all of that, iterating on solutions using the 80-20 the rule, as we call it, like getting to something quickly and getting feedback quickly rather than taking time to perfect something that is not even useful. So iterating and uh, developing your uh, solution closely with the stakeholders in the loop and getting feedback on each iteration, uh, validating it with real-world data before you actually try to deploy it anywhere. So all of these like best practices is something that I like to talk about a lot because we have seen that work well. And I know that that's for us, at least, or for our industry. Uh, but when you're talking about working with real-world data, uh, that's the kind of approach that has given good results. Just to add to the best practices part. So when it comes to the uh, world of machine learning, it's a very new world if you compare it to something like software development, right? Because in software development, you have methodologies and templates in place, uh, the way you have to carry out a project. But then when it comes to machine learning, it's not always the case. So what we've tried over the last few years is to develop a template of how would we approach any new project starting from questioning what the what the problem is, if machine learning is the right fit. And we try to stick to that template more or less so that um, there is a very structured way of doing it because otherwise it's easy to get lost. And even when it comes to deploying the things to production, not a lot of companies have uh, deployed models or even have a way to deploy, but then we as a team are trying to develop uh, a, uh, a fixed framework or a kind of methodology which can help us uh, deploy models very easily and scale that very easily in the future. 
So that's something we have been focusing on over the last four years. And then, yeah, it, it's in a much, much better shape now. So. Um, that's really, really helpful to to reiterate. And thanks for sharing those best practices. And also, thank you guys for joining our podcast. It was really great talking to you. Um, I'm sure we'll have you on again as we continue to have these conversations, but it was really, really thought provoking. So thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Climate Chronicles brought to you by SkySpecs. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes. If you really liked it, make sure to give us a five-star review. See you next time.